Welcome back to PCO's Executive Speaker Series, a series where we provide our clients unfettered access to candid conversations with industry-leading CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs on the most interesting topics of today. I'm Allie Berry, and I head up business development at Patrick Offco, and today I sat down with Barbara Guggenheim. Barbara is a partner at one of America's best-known art advisory firms, Guggenheim Asher Associates, with offices in New York and Beverly Hills. Barbara holds a doctorate in art history from Columbia University, has taught at the college level, worked at Sotheby's, headed two departments at Christie's, and lectured for years at the Whitney Museum. She has written commentaries on the art world for many journals and has been the subject of numerous articles, including ones in Vanity Fair and Forbes. She is considered the Dean of Art Advisors in the U.S. She has also written multiple books, including Art World, The New Rules of the Game, which is part instructional guide and part historical. We talked about PCO's new art investment advisory service that we launched in partnership with her and how to think about investing in art. If you have any questions or would like to sign up for the service, please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Bart, and for everything um, you're doing to help us with our art advisory service. We're super excited to have you. Thanks, Sally. Um, I think just to kick it off, um, as we kind of dive into everything art and the business of art, um, if you could give us kind of a brief history of collecting and why people have collected, why do people continue to collect today, and kind of what do they get out of it? Uh, I a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's nothing new. Go back to roll it back to the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, they were doing it to propitiate the gods, but the gods were in the form of human beings. So the best way that they could do it was to idealize the human form. And who better to idealize the human form than athletes? so that they would make these absolute uh, perfect bodies with proportions of, for example, the head was one in seven. And people would collect these because they wanted to get in the good graces of the gods, but they also wanted to show status among their friends. So it hasn't much changed for all these centuries. And so in the Renaissance, for example, the Medici, same thing they were wanted to do they were they did dirty deeds in their business life but when it came time to it they wanted to be assure themselves to go to heaven and what better way than to commission paintings and sculpture for churches because that was their ticket to the other side um and if we flash forward to the late 19th century uh the brits who had a lot of money and again, made their money in sort of the post-industrials in, in industrial civilization. Um, they were, had so much money that they would take the grand tour and go to France and go to Italy. And by the time they get to Venice, they would buy, let's say, Canaletto paintings for their dining rooms, which everybody has seen in the, in the halls of the great English houses. And they'd bring them back and it was a way of showing their neighbors that they could burn money. The, they didn't think they were worth anything, but they could spend a lot of money on wallpaper, basically. So art, I, I, snazzy. 
And if you watched uh, Downton Abbey, you saw in one session where they were desperate for money to build this apartment complex. So they sold a painting out of the back door of their houses. And that's what happened to the rich Brits as they were land rich and money poor. They would start to sell these things that they bought that they thought weren't worth anything when they bought them. And suddenly they became, they realized they were worth a lot, but it was all a backdoor operation and nobody ever, even when I started, money and art in the same sentence was taboo. You'd never talk about that. And today, to talk about money and art in the same sentence is derogur. That's like <laughs> the first thing when people want to talk. Yeah. So the reasons for collecting seems to have been the same, but the the ratio and proportions have slightly changed. <laughs> that makes sense. So I guess kind of going along those lines, um, how money and art do seem to now be basically intertwined in today's world when you kind of see these art shows and see these record setting prices. Um, I guess, do you think art is a good investment? And is that somewhere we should be putting our money um, kind of to save it for the future? Well, I, I once had a client who met me at the door of his house. He was brought to me in, by his business manager and he showed me his pie chart. And it was some in real estate and some in bonds and some in stocks and he started to cry. And he said, I love my pie chart. You're gonna have to tell me why I have to change my pie chart. Um, but I think, yes, I think that the, to put some proportion uh, of, of in, in assets like art or classical cars or uh, tangible assets is, is probably a good thing. Got it. And so I guess let's take another step back. Um, can you walk us through kind of the landscape of the art world, all of like the key parties that are involved? I mean, I know there's the artists, dealers, auction houses, galleries, consultants. Um, I know the primary, there's a primary and a secondary market. Or can you give us kind of that 10,000 foot view of kind of everyone in the market and kind of what we need to know as a kind of someone who's new to art investing? Well, the most important thing you need to know is they, they make money from this. <laughs> and that their job is to make the most money they can. And yeah. the only one who isn't that way is the art advisor, who really is supposedly your fiduciary, who works for you and puts your interests above all else. Uh, the others are trying to push something that they have, even if they pretend that they're not. So, yeah. for, so for example, primary gal dealers are those who deal with the artists who paint and or sculpt and send it directly to the gallery. The proportion that the gallery makes for the artist depends on the importance of the artist. So if it's a young artist, the gallery might be 60, 40. They make 60, the artist makes 40. And as the artist gains an importance, then his, he can command more money from his dealers. So it could be 50-50. At a certain time, for example, Lichtenstein, I think, was 70-30. 
with oh, his wow. deal, with his dealer. So the relationship changes and the amount that the artist makes also can change. And uh, the idea of working with a dealer is that uh, you, you, you know that you could probably get 10% off, maybe 15% off, maybe 20% off. But if it's a very important artist, you might not be able to get anything off. I see. Got it. And then kind of where do the auctions come into play in terms of in the kind of auction houses? Is that all the secondary market? In the secondary market, including okay. now, um, you have to understand that the auctions are working for the seller. Okay. They're not working for you, the buyer. They may pretend to work for you. They may say, oh, you don't want that. That's not good enough for you. But you do want this. So in other words, their goal is to sell you something, anything. Yeah. So we don't know whether they told you don't buy this because they really believe don't buy this or they already have a bid on that. So they don't need <laughs> to bid on So that. they need to put your money <laughs> elsewhere. Somewhere else. So you, you, you're... You're not their priority at, at an auction as much God. as you might think they are. And the auctions want you to think that you're getting retail works at wholesale prices. And that's certainly not the case as well. Uh, what happens is if you can't get a work from a gallery because they're all sold out and you're not a great client of the gallery or you don't have an advisor who can push you to the top of the list, then you go to an auction. And the right. danger of that is you have two rich guys or girls who are been, couldn't get what they wanted in the gallery for $75,000 and they bid up, they don't care. If, if they have to pay 300, 400, 500, they want what they want. Yeah. And they assume that if it's a hot artist, the artist is going to catch up to, to those numbers, which may or may not happen. So you're dealing with people who really want what they want. And they want what they want because things have changed. It, there's so many people in China and Asia. The market is so much vaster than it was before. There's so many people chasing so few things that, that the market can go up. But the reasons people collect are obviously you know, they want to make their homes beautiful. They want to make money or at least put money in something that will in, in, increase in investment. But there's also a tremendous social angle to it. I mean, think about it. If you're a, uh, you made your money in the Midwest in faucets and you're, you're the faucet king and you come to New York and suddenly everybody's genuflecting to you. They, because you're, you've got a lot of money to spend and they are invited to parties where uh, there are models and there are, uh, <laughs> you know, what could be bad? So the byproducts of art or collecting art are incredible. I once went to a dinner party, cocktail party, and I, a German was speaking to a Frenchman and it meant, went something like this. You have a Mike Kelly? 
yes, I have a Mike Kelly. Now, let me translate that to you. That meant, oh, you got to the head of the line. I got to the head of the line. Oh, you had a million dollars to throw on it. I had a million dollars to throw on it. We can be friends. So it's like a secret club, like a secret hand. Kind of like looking at women wearing Hermes bags, where you you walk down the street and you see someone with an Hermes bag, and it's kind of like, or used to be, a kind of a secret handshake. Yeah, you're in the club. You've made it. That makes sense. But it's more than that. It's very interesting and it, it's the world where style meets intellect and mm-hmm. uh, you learn a lot. You can travel with your paintings. There gives you a reason to go to different cities. It gives you reason to go to the art fairs. It gives you uh, something to talk about with, excuse me, with your spouse uh, <laughs> when your kids are teenagers and you were looking for something to do together. So there, it, it, the byproducts of collecting are uh, immense. Yeah, it's, I mean, also just thinking back to how the conversation started, it sounds like not much has changed over time. It's always, there's always going to be a reason, kind of a proof point and a reason to kind of continue collecting art and people are going to continue um, to live this trend that's been going on forever now, it sounds like. Even um, more. Can we take one more step back? So going back to kind oh, of. We can go back to the auction. I, yeah, I was going to say to go back to like the auction, the process, um, and then also just to, to cover, like, are there a top three or four galleries that you want to be at the top of the list of this gallery? Or is that a competitive market um, amongst the galleries since that is the primary market you're saying before the auctions? Well, if you don't go to the gallery, there are private dealers and they do secondary market material. They usually work out of offices or their homes and and they sell things that perhaps they've gotten from clients uh, who who are now willing to part with them. Uh, What happens in terms of due diligence is if you buy from a gallery, a primary gallery, there's no due diligence to be done. The work has come straight from the artist to basically to the gallery, to you. But if you buy on the secondary market, even at auction, you have to make sure that it's authentic. You have to make sure that the provenance is right, which can be easily hokied around. Um, Thomas Hoving, who had been the director of the Metropolitan Museum, wrote a book in which he said, provenance? I can say that this painting belonged to the Queen of Sheba. Oh, fuck. You know, <laughs> anybody can say anything. You know, so... So, so you have to protect it, yourself in you the auction house. So you have to protect yourself at, in, in auctions and you have to protect yourself with the private dealers. You have to do your own due diligence. It's not that the auctions are trying to do something shady, but they have 500 works of art that they're cataloging for every sale. So so you really want them. So that's another, that's a reason to have an art advisor. Because 
you have someone who does the due diligence for you. I guess, can we do a double click into that and kind of, can you tell us about some of the services as an art advisor, kind of, that is a very broad um, spectrum when you say advisory. Can you just tell me a little bit more about some of the services that are kind of included in that? I know there's a lot more to it than just um, going and looking at a piece of art and saying, well, this is a good investment. It, 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 or it's funny because the one thing, I can tell you a lot of things to do but I can really, there's only one thing not to do. And that is, and I'm sure we've all been in the same boat. You're in Carmel or you're in Santa Fe and you're walking around with your loved one and you pass a gallery and you see a painting you like and you say, wouldn't it be wonderful to have something to remember this vacation by? And my answer to that is call me collect and let me tell, talk you out of, <laughs> out of the folly you're about to get to. Because in, uh, I, it, there's so many galleries and so many auction houses and so many auctions that it's really hard to know which way to turn, especially yeah. in the beginning. So what an advisor does is do a lot of education in the very in the very beginning my what I often say is for six months don't buy anything just come and we'll go to museums we'll go to galleries we'll go to the auctions we'll go to art fairs and then you learn what it is that you like because the best collections reflect the people putting them together not the advisor not a dealer and yes there are certain galleries that uh, that are more powerful than others, but not to the exclusion of everyone. But there, it does take a village to make an artist important because the artist has to uh, get sold to important collectors. The artist has to be in important museum shows and a good gallery knows how to do those things. Okay. So, so that's the reason you want to go to the best galleries, because it takes that to push an artist to the, the next level. Yeah. But so if I'm thinking about kind of, let's say I call you up and say, OK, I want to start investing in art. I own a couple pieces, but I really want to build out a collection. I know I want to spend X amount. Is that something that you're then able to kind of help advise me on which pieces are kind of going to go up in value and which pieces should, are, am I overpaying if I spend this amount and that type of stuff? Or um, kind of, can you give me some color on, I guess, that process a little more? Yes. And, and um, the, the trick of that is to find things that you like that yeah. fit all the other categories, yeah. fit all the boxes, that the artists do have a reputation, that the artist is showing in shows, but you don't want to buy something just because somebody tells you to buy it. You want yeah. to love it. So the <laughs> lo love is a big factor. And I often say on the secondary market, you know, you don't know whether a painting's worth 100,000 or 150,000, it's very hard. It, it's very interesting because when an artist has a show, um, in the beginning, the things are calculated or priced by the square inch. So a bigger painting is worth more than a smaller painting. But the minute that shows over, that's finished. 
a small <laughs> painting be worth more than the big painting if yeah. it's beautiful. If it's interesting. So, so that there are lots of, um, so I often say to people, you know, it, it, first of all, if it, what's your idea of fun money? If it's 3,000, is it 30,000? Is it 300,000? Because whatever it is, then just go and do what you want to do and understand mm -hmm. that you're buying probably wallpaper that will <laughs> never get worth more money. But if, if that pleases you, by all means, do yeah. it. If you're talking about investment, it's likely you can find something that you like, whether it's figurative, whether it's abstraction, whether it's it, whatever style it is. And what happens is there's so many people chasing the next great artist. So for example, 15 years ago, Chinese art was the thing. Everybody wanted to go to China. Everybody wanted to buy Chinese art. Today, at auction, you never see Chinese paintings come up. So that market has come and gone. And wow. today, there seems to be, so if it's not the new Chinese, what is it? So now they're looking at old ladies who never got their due, dead <laughs> and alive. So you have artists like Joan Mitchell and, and Louise Bourgeois that, that, and those prices are creeping up. Uh, African-American artists, uh, African artists. So there's heat on certain markets it's, it's, it's today or a few years ago. And then I guess thinking more about kind of, if you are thinking of your art pieces that you wanna purchase as an investment, what are some of the most important questions you should be asking? Are you looking for uh, negotiating down on price so you feel like you're getting a bargain? Are you looking for quality? Are you looking for specific artist names? Or what is like the key to making sure you aren't losing your money or you aren't be, being frauded? Well, you want to get the best of the best. And even if it's the best of the best of a young artist or the best or a trophy painting. Mm -hmm. um, that that's where to go okay um, you don't just want an average painting got it and how how common is art fraud and is that something that people need to be worried about or is that uncommon well I think that that drives a lot of people to collect contemporary artists from primary dealers because mm -hmm. they don't think about that that's not even an issue okay uh, otherwise you do have to think about it it's it's not it's not preponderant I mean it's not every day but there are there are cases of it that are uh extraordinary I had one once where someone offered me a du buffet painting which had all this like spaghetti like and that in in the literature it said it was on the cover of a book so I got out the cover of, a, of the book and I looked at it with a magnifying lens and it totally checked out. Up, oh, as I was putting the book down, top right corner, there was no stroke where there was one on the photo of the painting I was being offered. And it wow. turned out that the painting belonged to someone in Palm Beach. And every time he would take the paintings to be reframed, the framer would copy them. And send, oh my gosh. and send the copies to New York to be sold at auction. 
or wow. or in the trade. So, <laughs> so you have to be incredibly, incredibly careful. Got it. And as an art advisor, is that something you're able to help clients um, decipher and understand if <laughs> understand kind of trace the art back or attempt to do their due diligence on all of that? Yes, I mean, we hope <laughs> okay. so. We check the literature, we check the provenance if possible, we check the authenticity by looking at the books, by talking to the experts, okay. by finding the experts. Yeah. Because at any given time, there's a reigning expert for a particular artist. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. So one person will specialize in all of that artist's works and is able to kind of validate pieces or how does yeah. that work? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, sometimes today they're some of the people are so litigious that you that you can't even get them to say yes, yes, yes. You can just <laughs> get them to say, I I I, I opine that <laughs> this is correct or, or not correct. Okay. God, wow. <laughs> but sometimes there are also books called catalog resumes, which are books that have the entire body of an artist's work. And if it's yeah. in the body of the artist's work, then it's right. Like uh uh, Jackson Pollock. If it's in the body of the work, it's right. If it's not, forget it. Even if it's right, it's wrong. Yeah. No, there, because there is no reigning expert today. Well, I I also was thinking just, um, I feel like more and more I see street artists kind of coming. And I, I assume that there aren't books like there might be for other artists. Some of these artists are just kind of up and coming still. And so there's not really a way of checking those types, what I would assume, but um, it's just interesting to think about. I've never realized that, but um, I guess um, if you were to buy a piece of work at an auction house, and then let's say a year after you purchased it, you come across that book and realize the stroke isn't there and you've purchased a fake for a lot of money is there any way is there any recourse or anything you can do about it at that point well the auction house has a five-year rule okay so, so if you figure it out that it's not right and you can and you can present your case you'll get your money back wow okay <laughs> interesting so you've mentioned that um, kind of pre-sale offerings are key for some of the major fairs. So even if someone was interested in seeing something in person and purchasing it, a lot of the times it sounds like most of those pieces are sold prior, correct? Uh, yes, you are absolutely right. By the time you get to an art fair, uh, a lot of it is sold because they send out PDFs a couple of weeks before the art fair. Got it. And so as an advisor, you're able to kind of provide all of those PDFs and can, are you able to help people kind of think through, okay, I haven't seen this piece in person yet, but I think I might be interested in that and help them kind of think through that? Yes, that's, okay. that, that's definitely part of the, the awesome. job of advising. Um, and now I guess pivoting a little bit into kind of some of the industry trends and what's going on in the art world more broadly, but there's been a lot of recent press about great returns in the contemporary art space. Are there any other areas in art that you view as being better or worse investments at this time? Well, you have to understand there is no one art world. 
So <laughs> people always come up to me and say, how's the art world? Um, well, the contemporary art doesn't work the same as 19th century art. So think about it. After World War II, the soldiers came back with the from the European theater with a taste for things French. They had all been in the trenches. They all knew what it was like to be in France. And the kind of painting that they collected was French Impressionist painting. And there was a, they would buy puddling drapery on Fifth Avenue and Louis Louis furniture. And it was very French, you know, you'd fondue and poodle skirts and the fifties were very popular. Um, and today uh, a street scene in rural France doesn't do it for a Google guy or an athlete necessarily. So unless you're, you have Monet's water lilies or another uh, trophy picture, um, the everyday impressionist paintings isn't, isn't something. Now, will that come back? I don't know, there's something called the grand millennials who want what their grandparents had. So maybe the uh, people, <laughs> are getting away from modern furniture and the idea that these heavy gilt frames don't work in these modern homes. So suddenly if they do go back and buy more traditional furniture and, and live differently, maybe there'll be a revival in collecting that material. But yeah. at the moment, it's sort of 1950 on and it is, it is, is where everybody wants to be. And, prim and primarily young artists. The, uh, the thought is that even it, either it's a trophy or it's a young hot artist or forget it. Wow. Okay. Interesting to think about. And how, I mean, I guess you kind of touched on this, but do you see major differences in the different demographics of like age groups of the clients that you advise? Like most young people are looking at contemporary versus older people, or is it just kind of very person to person and very customized? Well, I, I think when I first started to be an advisor, people didn't care because young artists were not expensive. As we went on and young artists became more expensive, they would say to me, I want to collect and prevent me from doing, making a big mistake. Today, there's even a group of people who don't care. They just yeah. want to be in the mix. They don't care if what they buy for hundreds of thousands of dollars has yeah. no future because they want yeah. to go to that cocktail party. Yeah. Be able to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, in terms of for new collectors, what's, is there a typical price point or entry range of prices or? Is there kind of a threshold where you feel like, oh, you can't really do well if you're not spending $50,000 or, or is it kind of more approachable? Well, there, it, it's all about your, your idea of risk and your, your risk components. So for example, I have one client who says, don't show me an artist who's having a first show. Show it to me when he's a half a million dollars, when I know that a lot of private collectors are in, interested in it, because Got then it. the ship is sailed, so I know I'm on, on, on the same track. Mm -hmm. And so I guess 
if if I was thinking about kind of starting a collection, is there if someone has not even dipped their toe in the water and is literally just starting into the whole collecting art world? Um, I won't say the art world anymore because I know you said it's not one world. No, but is there can anyone do it? Is it at any kind of price point? Do you feel like there's a specific entry point that you need to be at? Um, not really, because there are photographs and there are works on paper. Yeah. And there are other ways to enter than, than okay. games. That's good to know. Um, and then I guess thinking through um, kind of more of the style of this um, kind of era, is there like one style that you think is currently dominating or is it just, it's kind of, there's always going to be different pockets of these different styles or is well, there that, kind of. That's a really good question because it used to be that there was one dominant style. It mm -hmm. was abstract expressionism. Then it was yeah. pop art. Then it was op art. Then it was minimal art. Today it's woohoo, anything goes. Not uh, NFTs. <laughs> not so much. Um, but, uh, and I think that if anything, it's content. It's, it's you, social content that is also well painted. Got it. Okay. Figurative artists that are talking about issues um, that somehow seep into the painting so that it's not that they're, but they're also beautifully painted. Yeah. So if someone was focused, I guess, on a specific issue or finding artists from a specific background, is that something that you could also help with if they were very focused on a very specific kind of niche market? Well, you, for example, the master would be somebody like Mark Bradford, an L.A. artist who started in South Central and he included posters and ripped uh, piece uh, pavements and things in his work making comments about society but painted in collage and in beautiful way a woman named Lauren Halsey who's very committed to her community and very give back person she makes collages and photos kind of like street art things okay that are just breathtakingly beautiful and she's just done a series of, of, uh, of their photo, like photo prints or I don't even, editions is the best way to call them. And they're like $50,000, but I would highly, highly recommend that. Yeah. She's on the roof of the Metropolitan Museum. Oh, wow. Oh, sure. Um, I guess kind of switching a little bit, but are there other luxury asset classes that you advise on or kind of think about and see a lot of in terms of um, an investments that you think might perform well? So be it cars, watches, jewelry, wine, designer handbags. All, all of the above. <laughs> um, okay. I think jewelry is tricky because I don't think that the big stones uh, for, as for diamonds have gone up in value, 
but certainly style jewelry has, meaning works from the 20s, works from the 30s that were from major makers like Boucheron or uh, uh, Cartier from the 20s. Those things have increased incredibly in price. Yeah. So again, you know, if I can't help, I know people who do work in those sectors. Yeah. I, yeah, I assume they're experts in kind of each one of those that, um, and they all have kind of their own experts. Um, I guess one other question is kind of pivoting more so into your background, but um, how did you decide to kind of start your own firm? Oh, um, there was, I think there only, there at the turn of the century, last century, there were uh, some, uh, Mary Cassatt was the art advisor. She was a painter and she was the art advisor of a very wealth, well-to-do woman named Havemeyer. But the, the, as a career, it didn't really take off until uh, the 70s or the 80s. And I was okay. at the, at, in the beginning of that. And the reason that, I, and I started by taking people to artist studios because there weren't as many galleries and there were lots more studios and there were galleries. Oh, so interesting. That's, that's changed. Wow. And um, kind of, I guess, thinking about that, how there were more studios before that, I guess, has, did COVID change, do you think, um, since things got started probably getting sold online a lot? Do you think that's changed any of kind of how transactional, how transactions occur or prices or any of that, or how is that impacted? Um, yes, and I think as the younger generation who is sees, reads, does everything online, shops online, I, it feels more comfortable buying things that they have not seen in person that that's why the auctions are hoping that 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 they do yeah the increases and uh got it so much more is done online and then i think the the buyer is more used to it got it um and let's say someone is kind of looking to find the next new artist. I know you said that is what everyone is on the hunt for and it's nearly impossible to find, but what is the best way to even kind of go about finding up and coming artists and artists who's maybe it's not even on an investment perspective, but just artists that are new and different from what you've seen everywhere else in everyone else's homes. What, what's kind of, where would you steer people? I think education is the most important component is mm -hmm. to spend some time and going out and seeing. And when you look at a work of art, I think you have to say, is this person pushing the limits in any way that beyond what anybody did before? And if it's street art, does it look like Basquiat or is it pushing beyond? Does it look mm -hmm. like Keith Haring or is he going someplace else? Um, and if, if the dealer, if, and ask those kinds of questions um, and, and then start to think of it in that way. Got it. And 
I guess what are what are the questions that you should be asking if you are interested in buying a piece? Are you looking at kind of the the artist's history, or are you thinking about um, just how many pieces they have? I know that rarer, I probably if they have a smaller collection, it's slightly more rare. Not not necessarily because okay. because you want in order to sell like Andy Warhol and Picasso were the two most valuable artists of the 20th century. Look, what did they share in common? They had a big output, both of them. And, yeah. and, and you could recognize their work. But in terms of big output, it meant that you didn't have to sell yours to find out what yours was worth because there was always one kind of like it on the market. Yeah. And I think that makes people feel comfortable. Okay. So, so I, I'm not sure that rarity is, is necessarily a, 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 not always a positive thing. Got it. And then I guess one last question. Someone just asked. Um, it's also supply and demand. Yeah. I mean, the more you speak about it, the more it really does sound just like any type of like the stock market or um, even the, mar the market for private equity deals, it's all about supply and demand and kind of what what's out there, um, which is very interesting as a comparison. But well, we size, one... I, I, the, the idea of being a size queen, I looked at a painting today that was so incredibly beautiful and that hadn't sold in a big show because it was 150 inches. <laughs> so if you have 150 inches, that was your painting, you yeah. know, so because most people don't have that kind of space. So <laughs> all kinds of things can factor into why something sells or why something doesn't sell. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, I guess the size does matter. Mm -hmm. um, thinking through, um, sorry, this one other question just did come in and I just want to get to it, but then I do think we should probably wrap up just as we kind of come to a close. But the last question was, if a buyer is interested in a specific genre, such as Asian art or African-American art, are you able to kind of find the right works um, and the right artists? Yeah, of course you are. It takes, it takes time. And, yeah. and there's so much that it takes time for you to identify which ones are the top of the heap and which ones you want to go for. Yeah, so that's where you could help, I assume, yeah, in kind of figuring all of that out. Yeah. So that's where I think the advisory thing is key is if someone knows exactly what they like, but they just don't know where to start um, yeah. in terms of... Well, I think that's right. An advisor kickstarts yeah. and, and gets rid of the mistakes that you're, you're apt to make in the first six months of the year. <laughs> Shortcuts that. Yes, exactly. And um, also ensuring that you aren't um, kind of, I mean, most of these are large investments. So you want to make sure that you're protecting your downside and minimizing any risks. So yeah, fraud, that's what any I say, that. preventing terrible errors from happening. In the yeah, exactly. Well, this has been so incredible, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and thank you to everyone um, who joined this evening. Um, this has been great. And please feel free to reach out um, if you're interested in signing up for the Art Investment Advisory Service. Um, 
I think it's it would be incredible to be able to work with Barbara on building out a collection and um, we're happy to answer any other questions that, that you have as you continue to kind of think through the service offering. But thank you so much, Barbara. We really Thanks, appreciate Ellie. it. Thanks, Ellie. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.